Well, welcome to a kind of a new season as we change series. We have um, a direction that will take us into some areas that for some may be totally unfamiliar. Others, it may be familiar, but you just haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about it. But we are going to uh, dig into some things that God has revealed in his uh, in the scriptures and he has invited us to be part of and so the title of the series is edify so this morning we will begin with that edify and we are going to look at the three key components to this as we as we are going to go through this over the weeks ahead Reframe, renew, return. Let's start with reframe. Reframe. We have a perspective. We have a way of looking at the world around us. We have a, a, a view, a worldview that we have developed over time. We've gathered information as we have experienced the world around us, and that has given us a, certain parameters that define who we are, how we understand the world, how things work, and when we come to understanding how our relationship with God works, we have a particular set of values, and we have boundaries to that that say this is what we hold to be true, and we this is how we understand God, and sometimes this is this is part of the process. We need to definitely hold on to the truth, we need to hold on to faith, and we need to be solid in those things that are that are absolutely valid for for all of all of life. There are certain frameworks, however, that we have set up that aren't necessarily from God. We've gathered them from culture, we've gathered them from our own feelings, our own personality, our own way of doing things, our own set of, uh, well, our own framework. We've, we've manufactured our own framework, and if someone threatens that, we can get angry, defensive, push back, shut down, run away, close it down, burn it down, do something, but we're not going to go there. So I am inviting you in this series to reframe, to be holding on to the truths that are uh, given to us by God and Scripture, but reframe in terms of there may be concepts here that are not what you've always known or held on to, and it may push your framework a little bit out. So don't run. You don't have to shut it down. You don't have to just check the scriptures. See if these things are true. Find out if God is is, uh, working in you and he wants to do some things that are going to to reshape. And to do that, it just requires that we come into this with uh, a readiness to reframe the things that we've always maybe... uh, seen and identified and accept and so reframe is part of this renew we are challenged in Romans 12 to to allow the Lord and his truth his spirit to renew our minds 
That's part of the process to have this renewing that is happening. And when we talk about these kind of things, we're, we're talking about an, an area of life. We're talking about an eternal being when we're talking about coming into the presence of God or getting to know God. So we can know something about God. We can know God and we can know about him. We cannot know everything about him. You are not an eternal being. You do not have infinite ability. You do not have the capacity. None of us do. Not all of us together. Not all the people who've ever lived. Not all, of, all of us gathered together cannot handle this. God is bigger than all of it. So we are always going to be on a track of getting to know him, of discovering more about who he is, how he works, how he, he is uh, engaged in our lives. And to enter into that relationship with him and to experience him more fully requires us to have this renewing of our minds. That renewing of our minds affects our hearts. It, re it will be reflected in our attitudes, our behaviors. It shows up everywhere. So re reframing, renewing, and then return. To return is to keep coming back. Keep coming back to the Lord. Keep coming back to God. Keep coming back to His truth. Coming back to the foundations. Coming back to the scriptures. We want to keep coming back because we come to Him. Ultimately, what He created with the Garden of Eden, paradise, set this thing in motion and said, this is, this is a plan I have for you. So through scripture, over we're told over these centuries, we have a Savior who has come who is making possible our return, the people who have departed from God, turned their backs on Him, they are now offered a return to life, a return to eternal life, a return to a relationship with God, a return to paradise. And when Jesus comes back and sets up the new heaven, new earth, wow, it's a return. Jesus returns, He resets this thing, we have a whole new experience. So, in this series, Edify, that's where we're going. We are going to reframe and renew and return and provide that uh, opportunity to you. And you are uh, invited to come along in, the, in, this, in this process. Again, it requires a change of perspective. So here's a change of perspective. Back in the 1800s, they came up with uh, railroads, steam engines, railroads. Going 12 miles an hour frightened people. There were people who said, you can't go that fast. It will cause your heart to stop. You will have ulcers. I mean, there's this, this will kill you. And now on the turnpike, you can go 80 miles an hour. If you live in Germany on the Autobahn, you can go whatever speed your car can handle. If you're on a train in Europe or Japan, you can go over 200 miles an hour on a train. They go, huh, we can go faster. What happened? Why is it that human beings once thought 12 miles an hour was like way too fast and now we can travel at these other speeds and we're fine? It's a change of perspective. We have uh, phones. Once those were invented, they had wires and those wires ran everywhere. And until recent times, that's how it was. Everybody had a landline. And pay phones were everywhere. Now it's cell phones. And they're wireless. And a lot of people have, don't even have a landline. They just use their cell phone. That's a change. Uh, why would we have such a change of perspective? So we, we've got changes on, on technology, 
but we also have changes in relationships. We were at war at one time. The United States was at war with Germany and Japan, and now they are some of our closest allies. Those are our friends. So politically, uh, national interests change, and there's a change of perspective. And spiritually, we are allowed to have a change of perspective that, allow, uh, that brings us into a closer relationship with God to understand more of who he is, more of what he's doing, how he wants to be involved in our lives, and how we can be involved in the kingdom. So it requires a change of perspective. There are Christian views, I, lots and lots and lots of different Christian views, but I want to narrow them down to two, and just to contrast, compare and contrast, these two. One is a fan. So you can have a fan of Jesus and people involved in the church, and there is a, uh, a view, a perspective, worldview that comes with this. So for the fan, physical existence in a physical world with a future in heaven because they believe in Jesus. So they accept that, that we're living in a physical world, and that's pretty much a given for most people. Depends on you know, some far-out philosophies, but just normal people are going to go, yeah, we live in a physical world. They accept it. So we live this world however we live in this world however we want to live in this world, but we need to believe in Jesus so that when we die, we go to heaven. There you go. They believe for a spot in heaven, and you ought to be good. And, and if you're going to define good, that's defined by them, whoever they are. So good is as defined by that individual, and just need a spot in heaven. God is hard to understand from their perspective, mostly, mostly distant, and assumed to be near in theory. So it's a good idea, and those verses that talk about him being, being near or close or available or listening to prayer is a good thing. But, you know, you don't really live that life, not really trusting him. So what would that look like uh, for someone who says, I'm living, in a, I'm living a physical existence, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and, you know, my church is in a bass boat on Sunday morning. My church is when I'm on a trail out in the woods on Sunday. That's my church. Where'd they get that? Because all you need to do is live in a physical world, doing what you want to do in this physical existence, believe in Jesus so you have a way to heaven when you die, and be good. And you define good by yourself, so you define bass boats and trails and uh, being nice to waitresses at the restaurant, being angry at people on the road who cut you off. That's all okay, because it's you. You define good. You define this life. That's a fan. That's different than family. Now, someone whose family takes us in a, in a different way. There is a physical and a spiritual existence, both, right here in this time, physical and spiritual. 
Belief in Jesus leads to new life. Belief in Jesus leads to new life. Not just heaven at the end, but new life now. A future in heaven is part of that because you just live the life now and it continues on forever. God is beyond fully understanding but can be known and experienced. Can't know everything about him. He is, again, an infinite being. We're not infinite. We can't handle that. But we can know him and we can experience him. Family is different. Family has both the physical and the spiritual, and that existence is happening here and now, and that understanding is being lived out daily. So trusting in those promises of God, it means trusting in those promises of God. It means for Moses walking up to the Red Sea, holding the staff, believing God's going to rescue them, and the sea opens. That's the physical and the spiritual at work, in one place, in the real world, in real time, and people were delivered. That is family. There's a difference between a fan and family. We're going to talk about edify. Edify. Now this word is probably unusual unless you've been in a church context where they use that. Because, you know, sometimes you've got to edify. You've got you edification. Edification of the saints. Of course, if you don't understand what that word means, you go, I don't know what they're going to do to me, but I think I'm going to go to Brahms and get me a shake. Because that's scary. That's, those are weird words. So edify. That is uh, to enlighten, to, to bring knowledge, to bring such truth into a person's life that it just turns them around. It opens up their hearts. They discover new, uh, new life. In the, in the course of that. So being enlightened uh, to edify is to uplift, to bring that person out of the pit because of this knowledge, this revelation, this manifestation of God's glory, his reality, and to be enriched. And their lives can be fulfilling and purposeful and accomplish, can be fruitful in, in many ways in the, in the physical, spiritual world. So to be edified is... It's actually a really good word. And to bring that into life, it, it, it can just be just so life-changing. In John chapter 4, Jesus runs into this woman who's had a really tough time trying to get life going. He meets her at a well. He meets her at a time that definitely indicates that she is an outcast. She's not with the other women. She is on her own getting water at a time of day when the women didn't come to the well to get water because she didn't fit in and no one accepted her. And she knew why, because her life had been a wreck. And she, she, she knew that inside. She's just trying to survive. It's difficult. And then the conversation with Jesus uh, he says, you know, can, can you get me some water? And she questions, you know, what? She jumps to, when he asks a simple question, to sociological issues, to customs, to culture. That's her response to this. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a woman, so the Jew, the Samaritan, the, the male, the female, all of those things are out of whack. And so there's cultural, social, so... Think, you've you got to think of the framework this woman has. And we're going to talk about reframe, right? And renew. 
Here's this framework this woman has. Here's the culture. Here's the way you think. This is how we do things. I'm here at noon because I don't fit. I'm an outcast because I've been through all these husbands and I'm living with this guy and things are not going well. And so she throws out, well, you know, how can you even bring those things up? Here's Jesus who's about to reframe this woman's thinking because he's going, none of that matters. You know what? If you ask me for water, I'd give you water that just be living water, last forever. What? Is this reframing her thinking? Eventually she gets it as, she, as he begins to name the things in her life and she recognizes he's the Messiah and everything in her thinking just switches. Now her framework has been altered. She has been reframed. She becomes a new woman. She rushes back to the town and she lets everybody know this woman is so enthusiastic about what has happened and about the Messiah that the entire town is emptying out to come meet him and begs him to come and stay, which he does, because she has been encountered Jesus, her thinking reframed, she has been renewed. Now she has returned to the Lord God Almighty. How's that? Edify. Jesus shows up, brings her to a new place, but he had to walk her through it, through some truths that she had to wrestle with, cultural ones, sociological ones, theological ones, worship ones. He just takes her through all of it. And then, wow, she is altered. Enlightened, she is uplifted, she is enriched. And the entire town listens to her, comes out with her. She's no longer alone. She's not only just with the women getting water in the afternoon. She's with everybody. That's a change. That's all like from noon to 2 o'clock. Because this happened, you know, middle of the day. Anyway, edifying. Here's the job in the church. This is, Paul takes this and picks it up in Ephesians 4, lays it out. What do we do with this idea? Where do we go with this? So Ephesians 4. He has servant leaders, he talks about. And he's saying this is the responsibility of servant leaders, Ephesians 4.12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. So they have a responsibility to do this edification, to, to have already entered into this new framework to have already been renewed, to have already been in this relationship with the living God so that these things can be shared. And that's the idea. The servant leaders are in this relationship with God and then they can pass this information on and help others to get reframed and renewed and then they are going to take what God is, has provided for them and then we begin this uh, whole new relationship within the church so this is to build up the church the body of Christ spiritual workers in Ephesians 4 16 uh, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly God is at work doing this through these servant leaders 
As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So the whole process requires that the servant leaders and the workers and everyone goes through this uh, reframing and renewing and what if the workers in the church or the servant leaders who either one decide they don't want to reframe they want to do things the way they've always done them with the same attitude they've always had about how churches ought to run it's it's how they growed up and it's how everybody has done it and so they want to maintain that and God is saying I have something that I want you to come into but it's going to require you to to take your thinking and move it into another dimension another direction I want to reframe how you approach these things and for many churches for many people that is just way too hard don't ask me to go past what I'm comfortable with. Don't ask me to do something that is out of my understanding, my field, my personality, my... And, and God in heaven is saying, yeah, Moses told me something like that. And I said, just go get them. Go get them. Go get those people out. Peter, I don't know, Lord. I denied you three times. I don't know that this is going to work. Jesus said, just go love them, my people. Teach them. Let's just go keep doing this. What about you? God have something for you? You said, no, I'm comfortable in my framework. I'm a little afraid to go out there and do that. I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell me. And God's saying, but how about we reframe? What about we, we renew? And then you come back to me and let's see what happens. Because the world could be a different place. The church could be a different place. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. What if the parts don't do their work? It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love takes them all that's the idea edify so we're looking at heaven heaven is uh we need to have this concept before we go further heaven is uh if we're going to do the the idea from the fan perspective the fan perspective is there's a heaven it's out there it's on the other side of the universe or somewhere up and heaven is where you go when you die. Don't know nothing about it. I think there's some harps involved, and and it's better than the alternative. So, or I think it's better than the alternative. Alter my life here in the physical to uh, accommodate anything from heaven. But is that there? I just want to make sure I get heaven in the end. So heaven is that place. All right, that's one, that's one idea. God created the heavens and the earth. We're told that the first page right off the bat. God created the heavens and the earth. This heaven, uh, out there where he lives, that's been out there a long time. This other heavens and earth that we're talking about, 
in the creation part. Later is a the heavens that are existing in and around this universe and the dimensional heaven that exists in and around this universe. So the universe, the scientists are working on how big this thing is and filled with galaxies, the stars and other planets and things are happening out there. It's immense. And there's a heaven. And, and often from scripture, it'll talk about the heavens and it'll talk about the, the glory. Look at the handiwork of God in the heavens and it's talking about the, the sky at night and we're looking at what's out there. That's one heaven. There's the third heaven where God is. The second heaven is the dimensional one in between that has the, the forces, the powers, the authorities, the principalities, spiritual beings that exist in that realm. They're invisible to us normally. So from God's heaven, second heaven, things are happening in between. Then we have the physical heavens above the earth that we can see the stars, the sun. When we talk about heaven, we got to know which one we're talking about. If we're just a fan, it's just us in a physical existence. Bam, heaven, that's where God is at the end. That's what we got. If we're dealing with the biblical perspective, so this may be reframing for somebody, we're talking about more. We're talking about three. We're talking about the heaven where God is. We're talking about the dimensional heaven that's in between the second heaven. And we're talking about a physical existing heaven that holds the stars, the galaxies, the planets. So we've got, we got something going on. That dimensional aspect impacts our lives. We are not here alone. So there are spiritual beings that exist in the spiritual realm. And they interact with people here. And they, and they interact with people in a variety of ways. And because of our perspective and our framework, we say they are involved uh, a little bit, maybe constantly. Well, they don't exist. We have all kinds of responses to that. What would be helpful is to reframe our thinking to get beyond what we feel, what we think, how we've come up with our ideas and go, what does scripture say? What has God said about these things? What do we need to know to live our lives before him here and now? That would be helpful. So I ask you if you would read Psalm 91 verses 1 through 6. So some of you may have done that. And uh, we're going to look at that. So Psalm 91. And we're going to take a look at it uh, and look at some of the Hebrew words that were translated here. Uh, and, and our we've got great translations, great English translations. We have a tendency in, among translators to take the Hebrew words and come up with the, which is, you know, legit, come up with the best word they can to fit into that space because they can't add, unless you get an amplified Bible, then you get a whole lot of extra uh, what this means because some of these words are not just word for word from Hebrew or Greek, Aramaic into English or an English word back the other way. There's more to it. And there may be more to it in Psalm 91. So I want to take you through I want you to think of what it was in the mind of the people of the time. So we're going back to ancient Hebrew times. 
What were they living? What were they facing? How was God leading them through? Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High, El Yon, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty, Shaddai. This I declare about the Lord, Yahweh. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, Elohim, and I trust Him. Names of God that have been translated into an English version for the most part and most of these translations. So we're familiar with them and probably feel more comfortable with them when we see them that way. But in the culture and the day, these meant something that takes us to another place. So let me take you to that place. Most High. Why would you say that? Because in our framework, there's God and God, triune God, Father, Jesus, the Son, Holy Spirit. We're done. Well, there's a devil out there, but we're talking about the Most High, so we got God. So when we see the word G or Most High, that's we're done. What was in the thinking of the psalmist when he wrote Psalm 91? There are many gods, small g gods. They are all around the landscape. These are spiritual beings, spiritual beings that God had created back who knows when. Some of these are are beings that showed up uh, on the day of creation. Some have been around. There's angelic beings who sang when the stars were created, so they were pre our creation, and we've got beings, these, these spiritual beings that are around, and they were impacting the world in which the people of Israel lived. The people of Israel lived in a time and place, as God sent them there, you remember? You've got to go to this place, these people are worshiping other gods, and you've got to worship me. Remember, I alone am God, have no other gods before me. Why would you say that if there weren't other gods that would compete? Have no other gods before me. So what do we have in the first line? He's saying there is a most high. There are other gods. Those are called Els or Elohim, which is the plural. So the Elohim are out there, spiritual beings, gods. Many are demonic Uh, in our view of demonic, and they exist, they're powerful, they have territory, and they are a problem. So when you come to Psalm 91 and you read the Most High, that matters. It's not just one of them, and he's not just one and there's nothing else, and there's just physical life and then there's a heaven at the end, You know, what else is there to learn about this? How about reframe our thinking so that we understand that God is at work and these heavenly beings exist and they are around us and they have influenced cultures, they have influenced people, they have influenced the way nations move and act and react through time. And here we have those who live in the shelter of the Most High, Elyon, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty, Shaddai. El Shaddai. There's a song 
goes with that. Yeah, that's comforting. There are all these other guys. Listen to this one. This I declare about the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant God, our personal God for the people of Israel. This is the God who loves us, who delivered us, who is with us, who provides for us. He is the most high, the most powerful, and he is our God, Yahweh. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. If you read it in English, you go, yeah, sure, yeah, God. He is my Elohim. All these other Elohim out there. He is my Elohim. Not that, and not the Canaanite Elohim. Mm-mm. Not the Perizzite Elohim. My Elohim. That's him. This is him. Psalm 91.3 For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from, every, from deadly disease. And you read that and you go, yeah, okay. So this is a health verse. Not in Hebrew. Deber is, is the Canaanite god or demon of disease. This is a personal being who comes along and brings disease. Targeted at people. Disease. Maybe a tribe or a family of people. Disease. That's the power of that particular demonic being. If you just read through it without knowing the Hebrew, you just blow past. So God is the Most High. He's the one you can trust Him. He is the Elohim above all other Elohim. And the bear doesn't stand a chance. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly the bear. That meant a lot to them. Because if you know somebody who's coming after you and they've got a machine gun and they're standing on your doorstep and you go, okay, that, that guy, Joaquin, is uh, out to kill me. And you go, no, I know the Most High and he will protect me from Joaquin. Not just general disease, he will protect me from the guy on my porch with a machine gun, Joaquin. In this case, DeBear. Wow. That meant a lot to them. Psalm 91.4, He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. You get the image of His protective nature like a bird, and He's just covering and loving and caring and softly uh, bringing His own in close to Himself. But he is providing the armor and the protection. Which takes us to Ephesians 6. So we stand strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We are to put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle, aren't we? Is it, is it the battle against flesh and blood or is it a spiritual battle? It was no different in the Old Testament. No different in the Old Testament. That's what they're fighting. And his faithful promises are your armor and protection. Psalm 91.5, Do not be afraid of the terrors, the physical and spiritual of the night, nor the arrow, reshef, that flies in the day. So we have 
these terrors that, that show up. And let me take you to Job 4, 13 through 16. It came to me in a disturbing vision at night. When people are in a deep sleep, fear gripped me and my bones trembled. A spirit swept past my face. Oh, my hair stood on end. The spirit stopped, but I couldn't see its shape. There was a form before my eyes. So what happens when you have one of these things show up? And it comes into your room at night. And you've got the terror at night. Some of those are dreams. Some of those are visions. The, uh, some of you are familiar. I, as a senior in high school, I've got this buddy over. He's staying at our, our house down by Maisie. And we're in the basement. I have a bedroom at the end of the room. There's kind of a little den area on the other end of this basement. He's staying out there on the couch. And, and we're just yelling back and forth because it's the middle of the night. Everybody's asleep. And we're just laughing and carrying on. And all of a sudden, he gets serious, and he says, Stop! Wait! Shut up! Dude. Rude. Anyway, something's in here. Yeah, right. Uh, No, really, it's coming down the wall. I'm going, you are, you know, just pulling my leg. So I I go around, I look, and coming down the wall is this dark figure. And it would be a Native American looking figure. So this Indian is coming down, and it's dark, but it's lit all the way around it, coming down the white wall. I go, well, that's something outside. It's come, there's one little, if you, you know, basement windows are about that big, and there's one in this hole of this room down there. So I pull a chair over, climb up, and put my hand in front of the thing. I thought, it's got to be a light. It's got to be a moon. It's got to be something out there. I wave my hands. Nothing changes. It just keeps going going. And And Bobby, who's on the couch, won't move. Dude is like six feet tall. He's got this blanket pulled up like, that's my armor, my protection. And, and this thing's just coming. I don't, I don't know what that is. It gets to the end of the wall, and it goes away. So we're freaked out. Adrenaline's running. And, and then, after being scared, if you're a teenager, everything's funny. So we start laughing. And we go back to telling the stories. I go back to the room, my end of the uh, basement, and he's, man, we're just laughing. And we just thought, we're crazy. There's no way that that could have happened. It came back. He says, stop. It's in here again. Here it comes. I go back in there. God, what is that? Comes down to the end of the wall. Okay, that's just weird. It's still got to be a light from outside because we live in a physical existence and there aren't, there's no, nothing like that out there, right? Because, hey, I've been to school. We were seniors in high school, so we knew everything. That thing came to the end of the wall and went away again. And again, we start laughing. I go back to the room. It shows up again. He's going, stop, shut up. It's, and, and this time, he won't come out from under the, the covers. And so I go, okay, I watch it go to the end. I go, I, I don't know what that is, but that, that's just freaky weird. My bedroom has no windows whatsoever. Then it comes in there and it starts going around the wall. There is no explanation when it moves into a windowless room. And it, then it made its home in there until the time that that house burned, which wasn't that much longer after that. And it moved in. And while I stayed there till I went off to college, every night I was harassed by some spirit, terror of the night, 
coming and, and um, never used my King James Bible that I'd been given much till then. And I thought, there's got to be an answer in this thing. I don't really understand what I'm looking at, but there's got to be something because this is creepy. But just reading through King James English Bible helped. Just reading the scriptures helped, and it would just relieve enough to, to uh, get a break. And that started me on a path of, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be an explanation, because this thing is totally weird. And what do you do with terrors in the night? And people have them. I mean, these things show up. People won't talk about them. They have them. They show up. They'll show up in a dream. They'll show up in a vision. Or they show up, in this case, where two people are watching this thing happen, and no explanation for how this is unfolding. So the terrors are happening. It's in, Job has recorded it. This isn't like, oh, nothing like this has ever happened in all of humanity. We dismiss it when we are fans and we have, there's a physical existence, there's a heaven out there, we die, we go there, that's it. If we're family, then we recognize that there's a physical and a spiritual reality. We live in the midst of it and it is involved in our daily lives and in the, in the movement of nations and the things that are happening in the world around us. It's way beyond all that. So, do not be afraid of the terrors of the night. Is that helpful? It was definitely helpful for these people. It was worth writing it in a psalm. It brings great comfort to someone who's faced the terrors of the night. Nor the arrow or chef that flies in the day. This is the Canaanite god of battle, fire, and plague. The gatekeeper to the underworld. What are we told in Ephesians 6 to hold up a shield against? Flaming. Uh, who is this guy? Yeah. Reshef. The Canaanite god of battle, fire, and plague. Gatekeeper to the underworld. You don't think the god of battle and fire would fire darts at you and arrow, fiery arrows? Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Psalm 91.6, do not dread the disease. Again, Deborah, that stalks in darkness. Now diseases typically don't stalk. Even the Wuhan thing doesn't stalk. It just passed from person to person. That's all. This is stalking disease, which means it's tracking people down. Nor the disaster Kateb that strikes at midday. Deborah, Canaanite god, demon of disease. Kateb, Canaanite god, demon of destruction. All wrapped up in Psalm 91 in six verses. That's a worldview that is totally different than typically. Uh, one would take it in our modern world where even as Christians, we're not including the spiritual too much. We just have a physical existence. We're living out our physical. We just do what we want to do on a daily basis, assuming we know all that there is to know about how this thing works. And we do not. I submit to you, we do not. There is much more to learn. There is much more to it. We need to reframe. We need to renew 
And we need to return to the things that God has given us so that we can learn how to live in the world the way he wants us to live and understand the world that he has put us in. Reframe. The world and this life are more than physical with a spiritual home at the end. Reality is physical and spiritual with physical and spiritual beings engaged. Your life in God is greater and more important than you have thought. Once again, let me run through Psalm 91, 1 through 6, and listen to it again because your minds have just been reframed. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Consider yourselves edified. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being our, our help, our hope. Thank you for being the Most High. Thank you for delivering us. Strengthen us, Lord, in the midst of this battle that we all are in, that we would truly put on the full armor, that we would rely on your strength, that we would hold up the shield of faith, knowing that there, the enemies are out there. They want to take us down. They want to destroy what you are trying to accomplish. Lord, we want to live for your honor and glory. Lord, help us to open our hearts and minds to be reframed, renewed, and to return. In Jesus' name, amen.